Now, I want you to think about the perfect set of circumstances that put this celestial ball of fire at just the correct distance from our little blue planet for life to evolve, making it possible for you to be sitting here in this riveting lecture. <laughs> but that's a nice thought, right? Everything has a purpose, an order to it, is determined. But then there's the other side of the argument, the theory of randomness, which says it's all simply coincidence. The very fact we exist is nothing but the result of a complex yet inevitable string of chemical accidents and biological mutations. There is no grand meaning. There's no purpose. Yeah, there was like a chat service and you could type, but that wasn't really the draw. The draw was that you could use your stylus to write words out and draw yeah. little doodles. And there were like three or four chat rooms. And was it Wi-Fi enabled? I don't even remember what it was. Like what technology no, it was, was, was location it? based. It was probably Bluetooth. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they probably sure. didn't call it Bluetooth, but it was probably Bluetooth. So you didn't need cell service. You didn't need anything like that. Just if you were like in the vicinity, you, you'd get on one of the Picto chat channels and it would be like this scrolling message board and we would just be drawing pictures of dicks and just you know writing mean things about each other and it was the best i'm pretty sure somebody broke up over picto chat i mean hundred percent yeah if you're gonna break up with someone one million percent <laughs> those were in the days where like people would break up like they started dating on friday and they'd be done by monday honestly not a you know i get it mm. i wish that we were that efficient now yeah it's so efficient just be like, you know, no, but because think about it. Some people, people nowadays, you're in a relationship for 10 years before you realize it's not going to work. Sure. Right. You know, they figured it out real quick. They're like, this is not. We were just more decisive. Yeah. I just <laughs> love like the, the weird celebrity culture. I don't know if you got, I mean, I, I would assume most classes had this, but like, even if I wasn't friends with like a, a certain couple in high school, when they would break up, it'd be the biggest shit it'd ever. Be the Unbelievable. News. It'd be like yeah. Brad and Angelina. Exactly. Yeah, it was the <laughs> biggest thing ever. It's like, did you hear that they broke up like right in the cafeteria in front of fucking everybody? Yeah, right. Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah. Extra, extra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a big scene, guys. Dude, a fucking an, an, uh, E.T. style fucking show. Maria Menounos hosted. <laughs> yeah, no, right. but in the middle school. <laughs> that would be like on those TVs we had in middle school. That would have been sick. Can you imagine if like one kid was just like breaking news? That would be Nico. <laughs> it would have been. You're not. I mean, you joke. <laughs> no, you need to explain what this was. Nick. Oh no. We had we had close did you do the morning announcements? Give me a break. I did. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I was. I was the announcer for the school. Yeah. Uh, he was. Um. We had. Um. It was closed circuit television. I was on it a couple of times, but like Nico was on it every morning. I think I was the lead anchor. Yeah. So basically, when we did the Pledge of Allegiance and the morning announcements, Nico would be the one doing it. No, but it wasn't like you know how like maybe at your school it would be just verbal announcements. It would just be over the the megaphone or yeah. whatever over the intercom. Mm -hmm. We had a really nerdy music teacher 
that like was into video and broadcasting and stuff. So he started like this club where there was closed circuit TV. The high school didn't even have it, just the middle school, right? How did he get them to agree to the budget to put a TV in every classroom? I don't know how he got the funding, but he got TVs in every classroom. He had a studio with a green screen. Yeah. He had a a multi-camera setup with a professional grade switcher, television switcher. What the fuck do you need a a switcher and a multiple camera setup for for this stupid high school show? (laughs) It's not high school. It is middle school. (laughs) It is younger. Adam, sometimes... uh, Sometimes you needed to go to a special correspondent for for the announcement. We had that, too. I'm not kidding you. But yeah, like it was the age where kids had no promise. You know what I mean? Like there was no like this is not a resume builder. This was nothing. These were kids that didn't know what they were doing. And except for me, who thought he knew what he was doing, but knew even less than what they knew. And hell yeah. Every morning I would read the morning announcements and I would like, you know, do my like George Stephanopoulos thing. Did you lead the Pledge of Allegiance? I led the Pledge of Allegiance and I would go through all the announcements and then I would turn it over to our assistant principal with more news. And he would be in front of a green screen. I would set up the green screen and shit. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Yeah, Yeah. no, it was a real thing. It was a real thing. Now, I wasn't allowed to get into any gossip. Um, but you know that would have been great. Perhaps would, I should have pushed for that. That's yeah. that was my question. So you're like telling like so in later news, uh, Tom and Jennifer have broken up. Right. <laughs> it's a it was a big in the band By chem lab. Yeah. <laughs> Were you never tempted to just say something off script all the time? <laughs> you never tempted. To just- we also had this thing where leading up to the announcement. We would have to play a song, and usually it was like a modern pop song. I see. Okay. And I don't know who was big at the time. Katy Perry, Maroon 5, stuff like that, right? And the sound guy was usually in charge of, you know, choosing the song of the day. And it would, you know, Kesha's TikTok, whatever. And, of course, I came in there being like, well, we're, we're playing Stevie Wonder. You know what I mean? Like, we're playing some... Some shit from the 70s Some that real no one music knows. Over here. You know, so I would come in with my iPod Nano that was fully loaded with just like Bon Jovi and fucking, you know, all of my dad's CDs that I had burned onto an iTunes playlist. So now like fellow eighth graders, let's play some Simon and Garfunkel for you. <laughs> there was probably some S&G in there, not gonna lie. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if the sound of silence woke up it's the gr- middle school of Plainville in it's, 2007. It's, it's Grateful Dead Monday. <laughs> all right, here's to all the deadheads. <laughs> to all you deadheads. Mrs. Clark's there. class. One day, I don't even remember what the song was. One day, I slipped a song on there with several profanities. Oh, boy. Was it Kanye? I don't think it was hip hop. I don't know what it was, but it, for some reason, I thought it was the radio edit of the song. But it wasn't the radio edit of the song, or maybe I didn't know the difference in how to look for a radio edit or not. And so I played the song in the morning, and then like midway through the afternoon, the guy that ran the club came up to me, and he's like, yo, Nico, what the hell? Like, there was like several F-bombs in that song, and I'm getting phone calls all day. They want to oh, shut yeah. down the program. They want to shut put, down the program. You put F-bombs. Oh my God, this is like an episode of Succession. They're trying to shut us down. They are. <laughs> the They're trying to censor us. We're trying to do real news. <laughs> You know, uh, that was not a fun day. I got I got in some serious trouble for that, and I don't think I was allowed to operate the. Uh... Why would they have to shut down the whole program? I feel like the fix is pretty easy. Listen to the song before you play it. 
to the whole school. Wouldn't that be the solution? Just we used to have public access TV on our community station. They used to give us a half hour a week for us to produce like an actual like not a morning announcements thing, but like a in the field, you know, in the field man on the street story. So Going like around and putting a microphone in front of people. Yeah. Like it would be like a produced news broadcast oh and there would be two people in the studio like, you know, throwing between stories and then you would have a correspondent like me. And you would pair it up like you actually do in journalism. You would have a producer behind the camera and you would have the on-screen talent. And I remember I did a story about like what was going on in the art classes. Like literally that was the story. Like we're making jars in art classes. And here's an example of some of them. Did you uncover any good (laughs) juicy secrets? Any scoops? No. I did. The teacher's overworking his students. <laughs> the teacher wanted to speak off the record. <laughs> Listen, turn the cameras off. But I said, no, you must be on screen. <laughs> Journalistic integrity. For, for the gir- good of journalism. Yeah, we attach names to all of our stories, okay? No anonymous sourcing in this white house. We're a respected middle school here. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a respected institution that's lasted for like eight months. Because <laughs> some 20 something music teacher thinks he's going to find the next fucking Walter Cronkite. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was a fun trip down memory lane. Welcome to Why Is This a Thing? Oh, I had another little funny thing to do as a cold open, but I guess that took care of our cold open. What? Oh. But I had another debate that I wanted to bring to the fore. A debate? We love a debate. What is it? I saw a Twitter poll. Okay. Oh, great. And I was aghast. Aghast that there was basically a 50-50 split on a question that I thought was pretty obvious. Oh, let's see what happens here. Who was hotter in the 1970s? Okay. Robert De Niro or Al Pacino? In the 70s. 70s? Hotter. Who was hotter? Young Pacino or young De Niro? What does this mean, hotter? Does this mean like sexier? Yeah, Nick. Or does it mean like they were uh, were a hotter like catch you know like they were like all the rage i don't mean no i don't mean like their star was rising i mean like who was more physically attractive um it's definitely pacino it is i go pacino trillion percent pacino and i don't think it's close yeah because the the truth is de niro's not attractive never was attractive he's pretty hot in the first half of raging bull though (laughs) he's pretty fucking but even then he's that's what i'm talking about like that's probably his peak right that's his peak. And he's still not that good looking. His peak is clearly Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um. <laughs> no, it's not even close. Although I will say like De-, De Niro hasn't strayed as far from his peak. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's a good point. Too. Pacino's strayed pretty far. See, I think Pacino, Pacino can still fucking get it in 2005, though, man. In 2005, maybe 2005. I definitely agree with Nick, though, that uh, De Niro is the one that's aged better. You look at Pacino this year. Holy shit, man. Well, I mean, it's yeah, no, <laughs> in their 70s now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree that it's, yeah, definitely in this case, uh, P- uh, Pacino. I mean, right, who's, ho- who's hotter in heat? In heat? De Niro. So that's 95. Yeah. What are they in their 50s during heat? Late 40s, early 50s? Something Oof. like that? For, late 40s, 50s, yeah. De Niro with the, the facial hair. Yeah, that's the thing. When he good look for him, he extended his prime a little bit with the facial hair. That's true. Yeah. But you, you can't count something like Cape Fear because he's supposed to be ugly in that. So you have to. He bought himself some time with the goatee, and I never thought about it that way. But you're right. 
Mm-hmm. It looks good with the, the goatee is a good look. He looked tremendous in heat with the facial hair. What's the one where uh, uh, Pacino plays the rock star? Danny Collins. Danny Collins. So, so you put, he's in his 70s. So you he's put, old by then. So you put that next to the intern. Again, he's not hot in the intern. No yes, one, yes, he is. No, he's, maybe canonically he's hot in the intern. Maybe in the logic of the movie he's hot. Anne Hathaway thinks he's hot. Anne Hathaway is very much attracted to him in the intern. God, we got to do the intern on this oh podcast. Oh my God, I love day. the intern. But that being said, Pacino in fucking Serpico. Yeah. I mean, please. Friggin, well, who was it? I think Jessica Chess yeah, said that one of her most attractive characters in a movie is um Pacino and Serpico I mean what are we talking yeah. about here he's unbelievably and the goatee he never really perfected the art of the facial hair ever again no that was like the peak of his of his facial hair no God, you know? no that's kind of it yeah I agree but even like dog day afternoon like dude the fucking sunken eyes dude he had those eyes that could just stare into your soul yeah very compelling figure there. very compelling looking <laughs> De Niro never had that De Niro's always look kind of funny. His features are right. very strong. Yes. Right. Yes, I agree. You know, he's always just so, so that's just, a, it's unfortunately, it's a small blemish against him. Pun intended, I suppose. I mean, this is going to sound weird, but I mean, younger Pacino is like a, like a pretty guy. He's very pretty. Whereas like, yeah. He's, like, yeah, he's a pretty boy. Even though he's literally the godfather. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Whereas like De Niro is, yeah, you're right. Very like kind of rigid features, very masculine, kind of aggressive looking. But he always, he has like, that big nose and he's got that little, he's got that little uh, beauty mark or whatever. And Always but, kind of read as a little older than he was and I think Pacino always read as a little younger than he was. Yeah. Yeah, even in the wedding party, he, De Niro looks old. He's like yeah. 15 or something. And right. He's so young. <laughs> and now I kind of feel like that's reversed. Yes. Now I feel like De Niro's kind of found the fountain of youth later in life and Pacino is just... Is turning into Frank Serpico, actually. Yeah. Like. No, but yeah, this. <laughs> no, but compare them in The Irishman again. It's like, yeah, I'd say De Niro's the better looking one there. Yeah, it's weird. Right. They, Here's the problem neither of them could touch Brando in his peak. N- what are we talking about? Neither of them could <laughs> even. Is that a question? It's not even a debate. <laughs> Brando in his peak, in his prime, like in the 40s and 50s? In his peak. You have to stress that because they more than outmatch him uh, in his later years. Yes. Not even no, close. But like, I look at these black <laughs> but, and white photos, dude. Like, oh I'd God. fuck him. <laughs> I mean, he you know is I mean? with the hair, dude. He had that long, flowing hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, fucking on the waterfront. Holy shit. Stanley Kowalski, man. Jesus Christ. I'd hit that. (laughs) (laughs) So really, that's the goat right there. I mean, the other two, we can't even really, you know. He's like the the prototypical masculine cinematic figure. Totally. It's amazing. Totally. All right. I'm glad that's settled. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. 70s, Pacino. I agree. 80s. We'd give Pacino the slight edge. Maybe, yeah. Man cleavage and Scarface is still fucking hot. I mean, what's... That's a good point. What's De Niro doing at this time, <laughs> you know? Okay, that's fair, yeah. But 90s, I think. De Niro's doing fucking king of comedy, and he already looks like a freak. Yeah, and then in the, the late 80s, he's he's a bald... He's a bald man. He's doing balding that. early. That's yeah. true. Where, where's, the, where's the transition? Where is it? Is it, is it around Meet the Fockers? That's what I'm trying to... F- figure out meet the fuckers <laughs> no i think it's i think it's earlier you think it's earlier i think it's earlier yeah i do scent of a woman pacino's done yeah right yeah. it's over 
It's, it's he wins so the Oscar. He's letting stuff go. Now it's done. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's see. Final movie where Pacino was hot. Let's look. What about Carlito's Way? Is he uh, Carlito's Way is ninety three. It's after Scent of a Woman. Dude, I'm looking at Scent of a Woman here. He looks like Andrew Cuomo. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not Jesus. good. It's not well, good. Kind of. They do him up to look a little older. Look at Nick. Look up. Uh, it's not a good look at him. <laughs> I know it's not a good look if we're comparing it to fucking Andrew Cuomo. But like, <laughs> look up Carlito's hey, way. He's like, New York's most eligible bachelor. Oh, I don't yeah, know what, what you're talking about. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> he's the governor that still fucks, man. I mean, come on. Uh, Nick, look up Carlito's way. I mean, look. Is he still hot in Godfather Three? In his own way. I agree with that. In his own way, he gets the little silver fox thing going. Yeah. All right. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is he hot? No, looks like that's a ninety two. Rundown. It's it, you know, and we're saying heat. No, right? No. Donnie Brasco. That's over with, right? Yes, I. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, we are putting the official. What, what are we calling that? The point of no return. The Don, wall, as, as the kids call it Donnie Brasco. <laughs> we're putting it at Carlito's way at ninety three. Okay, because I'm not going to give it to him in heat. Although he's not like no. Okay, we're putting Pacino's wall at ninety three. So how old is he then? He was born in 1940, so we're saying 53 years old. It's over for Pacino. <laughs> well, but, you know, relative to De Niro. We're measuring this in De Niro's. Okay. <laughs> De Niro's. How many De Niro's? <laughs> Is that the new thing? Oh, All right. God. We're, De Niro. we're not doing another bit. We're not doing another bit. <laughs> no more bits. I hate to break it to you, Nick. We're doing it right now. <laughs> There's only one bit we do on this show, and that's kill other bits. Yeah, <laughs> that's our new <laughs> shtick. Is Robert De Niro hot in A Bronx Tale? No. That's 93. And he's playing a bus driver. He's playing a dad. That's true. It's just like, a, you know. Is he hot? Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, I need you yeah. to pull up the photos. <laughs> you can't just trust your gut here. Uh, That's a hot man. Yeah. That's an attractive man, Adam. Not an unattractive man, no. My memory has betrayed me on, on Bronx Tale. I gotta agree. It's actually really... He's a gorgeous man. Yeah, he's a good-looking man. Yeah, cause... Especially he's next to Chaz Palminteri, and it's yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Like a, he looks like literally a weasel. Yep. <laughs> Where's, yeah, Casino he is. He's, he looks good. Casino's 95. Yes. Still hot. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I would say it I think still does a similar as Ace Rothstein does a similar slicked back hair thing that Pacino tries in Scent of a Woman and fails at it. Uh, heat fucking snack. Yes. Maybe the best he's ever looked. <laughs> Copland. Not seen Copland. He goes just mustache in that one. I would argue it's a strategic error. Okay. I would argue he probably should have stuck with the goatee. I love the goatee with him. Oh my god, yeah, no, he looks like a <laughs> high school principal. <laughs> Not a good look. That is a really bad look. He keeps the mustache in Jackie Brown. Oh, well, again, he's supposed to look like a scumbag in that. That's a little, but, a little different. Like, not good looking. No, but deliberately not good looking. We're putting the wall at 97. We're putting it at Copland, Jackie Brown, Wag the Dog. It's over. Yeah. Done. That's it. Okay, age-wise, he was born in 43. Oh, no! He was born in 43. That would make him... 54. 54, which is... He got one extra year on Pacino. One year on Pacino. Wow, by a hair. Congratulations to Robert De Niro. (laughs) Was that the game? I didn't didn't know what the rules were. How are we determining... (laughs) 
<laughs> Who's had the longest run of hotness? Is it is it Brad Pitt at this point? Brad Pitt looks fucking amazing still. Brad Pitt is doing Tiger Woods numbers. Like, had, he's just fucking lapping the fit. Like he's doing Babe Ruth shit right now. I might argue he looks better. It's now. it's insane. Yeah. Clooney, yeah. you can't discount Ooh. Clooney. No, no, Clooney's not. No, even, not no. as no, not as no. good looking as. There was a time where you could debate that. Now I think it's pretty obvious. Pitt's running up the uh, running yeah. up the scoreboard. Leo looks horrible nowadays. Past past ten years or so, it's been not really bad. Rough. But like, nah, it's getting rough R- relative to what it used to be. Yes, yeah. I, I, Give him like ten more years. He's gonna be a chunky man, dude. It's getting rough. Him and Jack were both at the Laker game, and he still had the mask on for some reason. And <laughs> and Jack is sitting there, and I swear to God, Jack looked better. Yeah, Jack has been retired for fifteen years. He looked he looked more spry and and that's hip. concerning. I'd still rather party with Jack than Leo. <laughs> you know something? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I, th- I might ha- have them beat, and it's a weird one. But given his age, don't hate me for this. Huh? Shatner. I mean, he's in his 90s. And he looks good. He looks tremendous, but he's in his 90s. I know, but... <laughs> that I mean, that's almost like a miracle of modern science. Yeah. Like, what's going on there? I don't know what the, what he's doing. Yeah. I'll tell you what, guy was pretty good in the Star Trek days. That's a hot man in the Star Trek days. I'm just saying. Dude, forget it. Just man. saying. Forget yeah. about it. Yeah. How about, uh, how about one Nicolas Cage? <laughs> oh, transition I guess that's a segue all right <laughs> you, you get like what well, a four out of ten on that segue he's pretty hot you tried dude. <laughs> he's pretty hot you kidding me we're not gonna talk about it at least <laughs> don't quit your day job <laughs> we're not gonna talk about it <laughs> he's gonna leave me high and dry <laughs> that's it no warning uh, knowing no way stylized with a one that's right it is Oh, Adam. <laughs> Do you not remember the posters for this thing? No wanting. No, I don't remember the posters. There was a one pun. <laughs> You're totally right. Sure was. <laughs> huh? Oh, no. Knowing. The O is a crescent moon, so it's or like a solar eclipse. So it's not even a, an O. <laughs> so it's actually, K, it's like K-N umlaut or something. <laughs> Wing with a one in it. You can't overdo it with these stylized titles. You got to pick one thing and go with it. Uh, nope, they made every decision. Holy shit. By the way, Cage, giant lettering on the top of the poster. Cage. Look at that, dude. Yeah. yeah. That is that is prominently featured. Rose Byrne gets fucking nothing for this. Every time I look at that poster, I think of the World of the Worlds poster. Uh, same poster. Exact same poster. Exact same poster. <laughs> Much better movie. Much worse movie, but exact same poster. <laughs> Uh, knowing. How did we get to knowing? Well, we haven't done a cage in a while, right? And we were chatting about disaster films on the core episode, and uh, somehow we got to this one. And it's available to stream. Sure is. HBO <laughs> Max, soon to become Max in a couple of weeks. I don't know if you're aware. At so, the end of all the episodes now, they let you know it's about to become Max. Just so we can ease our way into the transition. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, anyway, uh, yeah, Nick Cage disaster movie came out 2009. I saw it in the theater. You saw it in the theater, Nick, right? I think this might be the first movie I ever saw on a date. Whoa. In middle school. I think. I'm pretty sure. Juicy. This is an interesting date. How did it go? I like the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Was it awkward? Was it cringy? Of course it was awkward. It was middle school. Who drove you? Oh, I'm sure our moms. I don't remember. <laughs> separately or together? I'm sure separately. And you met at the theater? Yeah, I'm sure that's how it went. Let's learn about 
the world ending let's learn about solar flares I don't remember it super well. I mean, it was middle school. This was at a time where there was actually a decent surge of Nick Cage movies following the National Treasure movies and the Ghost Rider movies, weirdly. So he was kind of big for a pretty interesting stretch. All right, let's talk about this for a second. Nicolas Cage has had, like, what, three waves? Are we in the third wave Cage right now? Uh, Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, right now we're in third wave Cage. This was This was just coming off of second wave Cage. So you've got... Auteur, like, comedy-adjacent Cage. First-generation Cage. Right. Yes. We, oh, wait, hold on. We need to decide on the nomenclature here. Are we doing generation? Are we doing wave? What are we doing here? I don't like this. <laughs> I've been watching Star Trek, so I'm going with generation here. Okay, so we're doing wave then. Okay. <laughs> Fuck you, Adam. <laughs> what do they call it in Big Wednesday? A swell? A sw- <laughs> First swell of Cage. Okay. Swell number one. <laughs> Raising Arizona, Peggy Sue getting married, Moonstruck, Moonstruck, Jersey Girl, that, uh, Wild at Heart, sort of at the tail end of it. Yeah, I agree. Interesting auteur stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Culminates with leaving Las Vegas, he wins the Oscar. Right. Wait a second, so maybe this is the, this is the... Third or fourth stage, because I think second stage has to be his action stage, right? Second stage would be action stage. Yes. Right? That begins with Con Air, The Rock, and Face Off. Yes. This is on the heels of the Oscar. He decides, I'm just going to cash in now. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. He gets to Gone in 60 Seconds. He sprinkles in some auteur stuff. He works with Scorsese with Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, you know, he works with Schumacher. He works with De Palma. This is late 80s, or sorry, late 90s, early 2000s. Well, where's the, because Wind Talkers for me might be his low point, but I think that maybe happens earlier than some of those. Things. I would argue that it's just a blip, because in yeah. the meantime, he directs a movie with James Franco called Sonny. Okay. Not a great movie, but at least like he is, he has some juice to get stuff made. He gets an Oscar nomination for adaptation. He does Matchstick Men with Ridley Scott. Oh, yeah. This is still a good run. I would say that the action phase culminates with National Treasure. Right. That's and funny. National Treasure 2, right? Mm-hmm. Where he is now headlining a major Disney franchise that families are going to, kids and parents alike, fucking love these movies. I think it carries over into the Ghost Rider. Yeah, but I it ends at Ghost Rider. Disagree. No, I think I think that's like, yeah, I think that's the down the downslope of it. Oh, yes, this yes, is, yes. This yes. is the fall is Ghost Rider. Over. Right. But it's still part of that hill. Okay. okay. So we're saying that the second swell begins at that point. Right. Then he hits Ghost Rider and it's like we we're at this point in time where like Cage can do no wrong. You can launch any franchise you want. You can call it fucking Toilet Bowl the movie and you put him in the front of it <laughs> and it's going to make money. I would see that. I might actually. See they that. test their luck with Ghost Rider. There are two of them. One, one of them we will be talking about for sure. That's a really weird series, especially because the first and second movie are like not related, really. Well, I, I haven't seen the second one. I saw the first one um, in theaters because it came out around the time of my birthday, which in retrospect was a good indicator of the quality of the movie because yeah. I'm born in February. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's so funny. My birthday's in August, and that was a, a common uh, birthday party, especially for me as we would go to the movies. Going to see good movies. Yes. And Do- they weren't always like the best summer blockbusters but at least they were summer blockbusters you're not born in may <laughs> right. we're not, yeah. we're not well, talking may movies here one of, the, one of the last movies i went with friends to go see at a movie theater what's that unknown with liam neeson uh, oh my god think yeah. about that exactly i mean 
Really, it's it, that that month is now the Liam Neeson zone. Yeah, it's, it's Liam Neeson and J Lo own those two fucking months now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you're screwed every time. Yeah, you, you go work. for a birthday outing to the cinema. <laughs> it sucks. Uh, okay, so Ghost Rider doesn't work out, and I don't know when the gambling problem begins and the phone calls start to end. I think it's been going on, dude. But somewhere in this run, I'll read it for you. The Wicker Man, Ghost Rider, Next, which is oddly similar to the plot of this movie, right? It's about man that can see the future, right? I think so. Yeah. National Treasure 2, but again, that's just the remnants. Yeah. Knowing in 09. He has four performances in 09, as a matter of fact. What the hell? Knowing, a voice performance in the, what is this, gerbil spy movie, G-Force? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, remember I remember that movie. That one, yeah. Bad Lieutenant Porter called New Orleans. Kind of its own thing. Exists in its own universe. Yeah. Can't even really lump it in with this, no. right? It's like a time-traveling movie, honestly, because it belongs in, like, the 90s. Right. For him, yeah. <laughs> it just does not make sense that no. it came out when it did. <laughs> also in 2009, Astro Boy, another voice performance. Okay. Kick-Ass in 2010. Good movie. Good movie, yeah. Great movie. I agree. I saw it in the the gym movie theater recently. It still works. It's okay. I wouldn't say it's great. It's a little, I think, juvenile in a way that doesn't play as well as it did like ten years ago. Or hundred percent. And I but I can't tell if it's just because I've aged. Well, those types of comic book movies have aged though. I think the Deadpool culture of it all just sort of hurt that movie a little Deadpool bit. Deadpool killed it. Yes, yeah. totally agree. Here we go. Sorcerer's Apprentice. Season oh. of the Witch. Oh my god. <laughs> Drive Angry. Oh my god. This with Amber Heard. Holy shit. Seeking Justice. Trespass. Stolen. The Frozen Ground. Oh. The Crudes. Joe. Rage. Outcast. Yes, I'm just reading words from the dictionary at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Left Behind. Dying of the Light. Paul Schrader. The Runner. You get my point. We've done, we've covered this. Would you call that swell three? That's a bad swell, all right. This is just the absolute barren wasteland. He is simply doing this to pay back his gambling debts, right? Yeah. Oh, so in my mind, I was just talking about the good ones. Okay. Okay. I wasn't counting the bad ones. The bad ones, are those are the in-between times, and we don't like talking about those. That's true, but I do think we need the bad times to get to what he gives us with Pig. Well, he's wandering in the desert. Yes. Up until 2018 when Mandy comes out. Mm. That's the one, really. Yeah. Because he, he does a direct-to-DVD, basically, movie with yeah. a shoestring budget, and it is assumed that this is just, you know, one of those red box cash grabs, and it's not. It's good. In the meantime, he has the great voice performance in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He does Color Out of Space. Oh, yeah. He does Pig, and then it's unbearable way to massive talent, and now he's in Renfield, and he's doing a bunch of movies again. Are we on a downhill again? No, we're well, we're 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 riding this out. A lot of people actually kind of liked Renfield, I guess. I've been kind of curious about it. I'm a little curious. They have at least been complimentary of him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Playing to his strengths a little bit more, yeah. which is nice. Which is something that the this movie does not do very well, unfortunately. All right. With that being said, so knowing we're saying that is at the sort of tail end of his action swell and at the beginning of the wasteland absolutely what did you think of him in this movie in particular it's something i never say about 
Nick Cage, but he's kind of a lot of nothing to me in this. There's one Nick Cagey moment, and it's when he whacks a stick on a tree. Hey! You stay away from us, you hear? Want some of this? A baseball bat, yes. Oh, a baseball bat, whatever. Yeah. I remember it as a stick, and a, I just a, watched the movie. A Louisville <laughs> slugger. <laughs> For, just, to, just to intimidate an alien thing. Yeah, maybe. That's, that's kind of it, though, man. I don't know. It's almost as if the director went out of their way to have him not act. Yeah, you know what it is? I, I think they try to thread the needle of the, the National Treasure persona and the everything else cage persona. Because he is playing a... You know, paranoid guy that is obsessed with numerology, right? Yes. Uh, and, you know, we've seen movies like this in the past. This is, by the way, at like the peak of the numerology craze in Hollywood. Well, the sort of 2012 kind of thing going around, right? The end of the world numbers. The Aztecs, yeah. right? You know, the. Yeah, 2012 came out the same year. Yeah. Came out the same year. I remember that being kind of a big deal with the, the relationship between those two movies. Um, when did the number 23 come out? 2007. Two years before. There you go. 2007, number 23. Not a good movie, but I think it's part of a trend. I would argue that Lost is kind of the forerunner of all of this. Sure. Those numbers, 2, 4, 12, 22, 56. I forget what it was. There was a time when I knew it, though, and there was a time where I read all the theories about the numbers. <laughs> I've never been more pissed off than when I watched Lost 10 years later, and then people were just like, ah, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen Lost, so I guess I'm off the Well, line. Adam, I'll tell you right now, don't worry about the fucking numbers. Um, so this is kind of at the peak of that, and it's at the peak of this sort of like doomsday paranoia, at least in our modern age, although there have been obviously several uh, eras like that throughout history. And you would think Cage playing a paranoid conspiracy theorist. Give me that. Give me that unhinged movie. Like you just expect like fucking endless benders and you know the crazy eyes that he makes in Vampire's Kiss and I I keep expecting his version of like the ending scene in Conversation right yeah you expect just nothing but meme material in a movie like that the the problem is he doesn't play a paranoid conspiracy theorist he plays a very calm rational person who is not looking at a conspiracy but looking at a very factual data-driven proven uh series of events right and it's all played very straight. I mean, even the people who don't believe him come around really fucking quick. Right. There's not much like plausible deniability. There's, There's not. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty hard when he goes, 81 people are going to die tomorrow right here. And then it happens. And everybody's like, well, damn. <laughs> like, And he gets it exactly I on mean, the dot. And the numbers, like, it's not a particularly hard code to, like, crack. No. Like, he gets it immediately, basically. <laughs> the big thing is the longitude-latitude aspect, but... Ah, uh, that's tricky longitude-latitude, man. I do kind of like, though, that he picks up on it because the first set of numbers he recognizes are the 9-11. I love that it starts with 9-11. But that would be something my my, my mind would probably go to, too. And I'd be like, 9-11-01? What the fuck? And then you would... Yeah, that one actually kind of made sense to me, but... Sure. The problem with this movie, though, it's like what it, it's weird. It's an end of the world scenario. And there it's kind of a there's a little bit of a ticking clock element. But it's when you really think about it, there's not much conflict here. Mm. It's just kind of like the world is ending and 
There is no realm in which they can do anything about it. No, there's no like tug and pull. It's just, you know, usually even like 2001, the world's ending, but we have a way to get past it. We have these arcs. Now, I don't think 2001 is a better movie. 2012. 2012, Yeah. I don't think 2012 is a better movie at all. But um, from a standpoint of like just writing something that's compelling here, it's surprising like how little like pushback there is from like the Nick Cage side. It's just like, oh, I discovered that the numbers line up and we're fucked. And that's it. <laughs> Can I tell you something though? What? It's kind of why I like the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. I like that there's this fucking dread that they can't avoid. I like that. And I think when I was 14, I fucking hated that. Because I'm going into the movie, I, I don't know if I knew really any of Nick Cage's filmography aside from the action movies. Yeah, I didn't really either. Certainly National Treasure was the main one. So I'm coming into this movie a couple years after the second National Treasure. I'm waiting with bated breath for them to make a third National Treasure, frankly, but I'll have to settle for this weird sci-fi movie Mm -hmm. because here's another movie of Nick Cage solving puzzles, you know? And I think, yeah, the answer to the puzzles that this movie gives you to a 14-year-old is very bleak and unsatisfying. And it's like, oh, we're just all going to die one day. And there's nothing we can do to stop it, really. There's a so much better version of this movie. And it came out this year. And it's called uh, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, I actually agree with that a lot. <laughs> and it's just it's just the better version of this story. I mean, it just is. I don't agree with that. No, I don't. I don't. I eh, Nico, No, Nico, I don't. Nico, this movie's not that good. I don't. Here's why. <laughs> Knock at the Cabin presents those characters with a choice. And... M. Night absolves them of having to make a choice. And so that is a movie that, based on the premise, on the on the elevator pitch, you expect these characters to do something in order to stop the world from ending or choose to let it happen. This is not really a movie about choices. This is a movie about acceptance, right? This is not a guy where it's like the fate of the world is on your shoulders here. It's not like, this is not a movie about him trying to you know, convince the president to look at the numbers, to convince the generals to take his warning seriously. This is not about a guy shouting at the clouds and hoping for someone to answer. This is about a guy like accepting the Um, mortality that has been surrounding him for the last year. But if you're looking for the tone of inevitability, Mm. knock at the cabin nails that. I don't know. I'm not deeply compelled by the idea of like Goliath fighting an ant. Mm. That's kind of what this movie is. is the ant. No, but see, that's my point, though. I don't think they're fighting. No, no, no. But it's it. It's just there's no there's just nothing there. It's just it is what it is. It's just kind of boring to me. At least knock at the cabin has like interesting like character dynamics constantly at play. Yeah, they don't that they don't fucking do anything with though. Like by the end of the that movie, they don't do anything. But in between, no, they make an obvious decision that they had to make. Well, and to be clear. Knock at the Cabin is not a perfect film. It's not even I it's barely a good film. Yeah. Um It's a good movie, but you're right, barely I would agree with that. And yes, the problems you're pointing out are absolutely founded and we've talked about this in the past where in the source text, the decisions made were actually better than what M Night chose to do. Oh yeah. Yes. Still regardless though, I think for the tone and feeling that I got watching Knock at the Cabin seemed like that was what this movie was trying to make me feel, but failing. It doesn't feel very apocalyptic, weirdly. <laughs> it's a strange, it's a strange uh, kind of like so-so movie in that way that to me doesn't really work in terms of like, I guess what it's talking about with this idea of acceptance, which is again, kind of achieved way too quickly and not, not the most 
satisfying way. Everything this movie is saying, I actually like how they get there more and knock at the cabin. Interesting. Weirdly. There are some redeemable qualities, though, about this movie. Let me let me just read this A.O. Scott review in The Times from 2009, because I think it's kind of identifying the problem that you've described. What would you do if you were an MIT astrophysicist who discovered that the numbers written down 50 years earlier by a spooky schoolgirl and sealed in a time capsule were prophecies of subsequent catastrophes? You might also hit a tree with a Louisville slugger and start ranting like a madman. But the odd thing about Mr. Cage in this movie is that even when he's responding to the threat of complete human extinction, you can't help feeling that he's overreacting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so there's kind of this dissonance of like, you know, and that's Cage. Like, it's this weird high wire energy that he brings to everything just because he's Cage. But the tone does of the movie doesn't really match his energy. So it's this like weird, like middle ground. We're like, let him be crazy and let the movie be about him being crazy. That would be one thing. Or let him be totally rational in a world that is crazy. And there's a movie there. But in a world where he's kind of crazy and there's also kind of stuff, weird stuff happening in the world that can't be explained, something doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. It's like they misunderstood this idea that, oh, this whole plot is really kind of like wild and crazy. And they thought that meant that Cage would be a good fit. Right. I actually think these are redeemable qualities. You guys might not. But I actually thought the twists in the movie were actually well executed. I thought they were pretty good, yeah. I mean, I just don't think the ending's very, it's just like, it's bad to me. It's just such a boring idea when all is said and done. When it gets to the ending, I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. I think it's kind of solid. I think it's kind of solid. I've seen a lot of bad movies like that. We've seen done so many fucking disaster movies where, like, God descends down and, you know, it becomes this weird biblical thing. Yeah, as you said, 2012, it's basically the same ending. I mean, these are just space arcs as opposed to water arcs. Yes. I, I don't know here I, it kind of landed for me and I don't know maybe it's just a means of execution it was kind of sturdily directed and that's an Alex Proyas film so yeah I, Alex I mean, Proyas he, he's not a bad director did iRobot and Dark City and, and Dark City and a few right. others yeah he's he's a, he's a fine director does solid work I thought the score of this movie Marco Beltrami was really fucking good that guy always lands like way better than it had any right being like i was shocked he does this weird thing with uh beethoven he does i think is what is it beethoven seventh And then there's just like a number of awesome stingers, like horror stingers in the middle of it. Like really fucking old school horror shit. He worked with Wes Craven. That was uh, Scream. That was his guy. He did the original Scream score and I think has worked on the Scream franchise ever since. Yeah. Um, but it's just like a really good horror guy. I thought the score is fucking excellent. It is excellent. Yeah. The effects are okay. They're decent for the time. Like the airplane sequence, I think, is good enough. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it kind of it kind of works. Cage isn't great in it. I'll I'll admit. I'm not like, sure anybody's great in it. Is the thing. I think he's the wrong guy for the movie. I think that's really the fundamental issue. His kid Caleb is one of the worst. One of the worst kid performances. I think maybe of the decade. Some bad child acting. <laughs> yeah. Really very, bad. Very very bad. And, well, listen. And there's a lot of him in the movie. So children in this movie 
only serve to advance the plot forward. Like, they are simply there to ask very obvious questions for our scientists at the center of it to answer. No, I think a lot of the stupid ideas that the movie has are kind of encapsulated with the child characters, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and also the whole point of, like, oh, my wife died in a fire, I'm a single father raising this kid, and the kid doesn't quite like me. Why? Why is any of that in the movie? Like he's so fucking icy that car- that kid too. Like, and I know that's kind of the point. Like, you're supposed to kind of be creeped out by these kids that hear voices or whatever. He just hates his dad. He just fucking hates him, dude. Yeah, he doesn't really hate. He just not like, enough. Doesn't though. really like him. I don't think like he. Ha- I don't even think it's that strong. I don't think like you can get that strong a read on him. I think there's a version of this performance where you read it as hate, though, and the kid just doesn't really have that. I read it as I wish you burned in that fire, Dad. <laughs> But what's the point of having, first off, the kid in the movie? What's the point of having, oh, my wife died? It just, it doesn't really service the film at all. Well, it doesn't service that relationship as well as I thought it would or like the grander ideas. Like when they get to the point where Nicolas Cage is like, you have to make a choice and go with the aliens. I was expecting it to draw more to like how their relationship was affected at the beginning of the movie. And it just, it's totally different. Wouldn't it be 10 times better if it was just some random kid? No, because I think, no, I think it's about two people reckoning with the death of their mother and their wife. Yeah, that's not. That's what the movie's about. They don't even reckon with it. That's what the movie's about. I don't know. It's It's about like a cynical man. It's not about that. Of course it is. No. What do you mean? That's exactly what the movie is about. If it's about that, it's very. It's about about a cynical man that thinks there is no, that there, there is no afterlife and nothing but randomness in the universe. No, if it's about. That learns that there, that there is actually a meaning behind. No, no, no. I understand that. Tragedy. That's what the movie's about i understand that's the intent but if that's what it what do you mean that's I, it, the, it what else could the movie be about it's so poorly about that though is what i'm saying it does not effectively communicate those ideas at all he discovers based on the list that determinism is a thing right there is no such thing as free will essentially right and, but they never reconcile with that they never reconcile oh my wife died for this reason because it was predestined they don't talk about it. he just goes well yeah my wife is one of those victims and then they never touch on it again he meets another single mother there's no development in that at all. I was kind of happy that they didn't do the obligatory romance there. No, it doesn't even need to be a romance, though. The second she asks, oh, like, what happened to your wife? He changes the topic and then it's never brought up again. The way it's handled is just so sloppy and inconsistent. And I can't tell how much the movie actually cares about it because of how quickly it, it disposes of, like, the conversations. Like, it feels lazy to me. Yeah. He barely questioned when that woman kidnapped him and said, your dad will follow, I promise. He barely questioned, didn't push back. He's like, I don't care. Nico, the script's not that good. The script sucks. <laughs> the script's Let me be not clear. The script <laughs> is trash. <laughs> the, the script is horrible. I've been kind of the, dancing. the dialogue in this movie Suck. is some of the worst I've ever heard. I've been kind of dancing It's really bad. It. No, I, no arguments for me there. I'm just saying the intention. Opening scene, dude. He's like teaching in the MIT classroom and he basically is like, Nothing happens after you die. At least a lot of people say. And then the student looks at him and goes, What about you, professor? What do you believe? (laughs) What about you, Professor Kessler? What? Well, what do you believe? I think shit just happens. But that's me. Class dismissed. So we have now done 
what three disaster movies in the last year or so we did the happening last year mm. we did the core just a couple of weeks ago and now we're doing this one where they all begin <laughs> in the same setting yeah they all begin in this case they start off in a classroom in the 1950s a 1959 classroom in, in elementary school but fear not dear reader there will be plenty more classrooms and plenty more students asking really on-the-nose questions in exposition dumps, right? We get that, and then we flash forward to Nick Cage, once again a professor, once again the only guy that can possibly predict this solar flare apocalypse. Liam Hemsworth is actually featured in this scene as like the jock kid. And yeah, I noticed that. I was like, who do I know that guy from? In his big screen debut, that is a young Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> and then throughout the movie, yes, the kids are only there to ask convenient questions. Like, uh, you know, the kid is like, is there life on other planets? Is there an afterlife? Uh, The daughter asks, you know, questions to her mother again that are simply plot related. But then when, like, terrible shit is going down, the kids don't seem to be concerned at all. They just, like, sit in the back seat as their parents go to this, like, haunted fucking trailer in the middle of the woods and and like guys with gray suits and blonde hair come to kidnap them like they seem to be totally unfaced you know so it's like they're the only questions that they ever ask are not for like their safety but for the science that we're seeing on screen there's so much fucking explaining with 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 question and answers it's like all explaining it's like a whole movie that's just exposition yeah the time until you get to the end and you go huh yeah (laughs) can you explain that part and they just don't it just ends they are the aliens are just kind of they're just there they're just sort of there, and then the... Are they aliens? Yeah, are they aliens? Well, are they the angels? Maybe they're angels, guys. Are they angels? Are they God? Maybe they're... Are they God? I don't know, Adam. They're aliens. It's fucking <laughs> the AI AI mixed with close encounters of the third kind. That's what they are. Well, actually, in AI, they're not aliens. No, no, they're, they're, they're synthetic humans. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing they could have done was, uh, to make it more obvious, was name uh, the kid Adam and name the girl Eve instead of Caleb and Abby. I was surprised that they didn't start her name with an E or something. It didn't have to be Eve, but like something different, like Emily or whatever. And then his name was, you know, that. I do love how the angels or slash aliens or whatever just like drop them into a field. Is that meant to be Earth or is that meant to be another planet? No, it's, it's another I think planet. it's a new planet. It is another planet. It's a yeah. new planet. Okay. And they're like, like, get busy kids. That's what I mean. It's, it's like, like, all right, guys, get to fucking. Hence the fucking <laughs> rabbits, which is the most on the nose goddamn thing ever. They give him a pet rabbit and there's a big glowing tree in the background i also love that like these aliens look like um sort of ethereal see-through fucking weird beings but uh when they choose to be in their human form they choose to look like the aryan race <laughs> <laughs> that or like fucking david byrne you know like, they're just <laughs> like, yeah. and really byrne like quirky today. and monochrome you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> like spike from buffy for anybody who's watched that Right, it's this weird mishmash of biblical stories. And I think we said a similar thing about Knock at the Cabin and M. Night's fascination with Christianity. But this is, once again, a movie that they know the major stories. Like, they know Noah's Ark. They know Adam and Eve. They know the book of Ezekiel or whatever. They know about 
the I think there's actually a, a biblical scripture about the wheels within wheels mm. and these angels kind of right. Oh, they, you want to talk about biblical descriptions of al- uh, not aliens, but uh, angels. It's weird. Man. Right. Well, isn't yeah. that like kind of where the ancient alien conspiracies come from? Is yeah. that people have interpreted these descriptions of aliens or uh, of angels as aliens. A lot right? of wings with eyeballs on them. Very strange. Yeah. So the wheels within wheels thing was kind of that spaceship, right? Yeah. But anyway. The writer of this movie clearly knows all of the major beats, but he doesn't know exactly what order in the Bible they came in, He's, apparently. He has a vague memory of them, that's for sure. Yeah, they don't they don't go to Mount Ararat. Instead, they go to the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. That's like the Tree of Life. Yeah. Um, that's what it's called in the Bible, right? Tree of Life? That's yeah. in Genesis? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Why would they go to Mount Ararat, Nico? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's where Noah's Ark, right? Yeah, that's where Noah Mount, like rests up. Mount Ararat. <laughs> right? I don't know. I want to say that's where Moses takes the tablets down. No, I think that's Mount Sinai. Is it Mount Sinai? Where is Mount Ararat? Oh, it's in Turkey. Oh, Oh, it's it's in (laughs) Turkey. Mount Ararat. It's in Turkey. It's in Boston, actually. They got got great skiing (laughs) in the winter. It's actually a dormant compound volcano. Mount Sinai is the Ten Commandments. There you go. People have in Europe have said that the mountains of Ararat were described in the Bible as the place of Noah's Ark, despite contention that Genesis 8-4 does not refer to Mount Ararat. <laughs> does Noah's Ark happen in Genesis? Yeah, uh, Yes, it does. That I know for sure. So God just reboots everything that quickly? Genesis is weird, man. Yeah, Genesis. Wow. Yeah, because Exodus is basically all... Uh, mostly the story of Moses, yeah. So it's just like fucking, like the amazing Spider-Man of fucking text. So you got to remember, like what the Bible, what like the New Testament feels like to us, where it's like ancient knowledge, that's what it was when it was written for them. Right. Mm-hmm. When the Old Testament was written, it was old for the Old Testament. Either. I kind of figured, though, that God let it play out a little bit. Well, yeah, they kind of they talk about that. They just yada yada over it. They yada yada over a lot, though. Like I feel like it's the way that of, they pace it, it doesn't. They go over everybody and their son and their son's son and their son's son and their son's son's son and their son's son's son, and they go like that. So no, but he generation. tears the whole thing down. I mean, he barely gave him a chance. Give well, him a couple more books. Well, no, they were being shitty. It's like early <laughs> Seinfeld seasons. It's like you want to let them find their voice. There were like twenty or thirty generations, and they started just like being heinous, committing all sorts of crimes. It was horrible, like worse than Hitler, <laughs> just horrible human beings. And he's like, okay, this is fucked up. <laughs> God is like, okay, that shit's fucked up. <laughs> I'm getting rid of you. Too far. He goes, we're gonna wipe it out. And he goes, this time I'm gonna give you rules. Sure. We're gonna right. start over. I'm gonna give you rules this <laughs> yeah, time. Exactly. Basically. It ends with um, like the, the the story of uh, Jacob and, and Joseph. So you know the the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That play, that's the yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the last couple stories in the Bible. Okay, or, or the Genesis, rather. The Genesis. Yeah, and then in the New Testament, they go, "Well, those rules didn't quite work out. <laughs> I'm gonna give you a guy. He's gonna. He's gonna <laughs> I got a guy." <laughs> He's gonna, he's gonna kind of. I'm little, gonna send the fixer in, you know. Like, I'm gonna send Ray Donovan. He's in a little, exce- little eccentric, but just give him a chance. Give him a chance. <laughs> he walks around barefoot, and he has really long facial hair. He's kind of like Al Pacino. <laughs> just whatever you do, please nail him to a cross at the end of this. <laughs> Basically. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. But it is anyway. 
Yeah, so the guy that wrote this movie, he kind of knew the broad strokes, but then he just puts them all together in the final <laughs> act of this movie. And it's like, yeah, at the end of Noah's Ark, there's also two Adam and Eve kind yeah. of characters that get sent onto this new planet with presumably no other humans, right? We see other spaceships. No, yeah, it, it, they, they would have to be other humans, right? Because the implications that it's dropping off other kids. Right. They yeah, but I don't know from... if there were like other animals on those. No, yeah, maybe they're dropping off like two zebras and two lions and two elephants and Well, because you saw some glimpses. Obviously you saw the rabbits. You also saw the two deer, right? We don't really see any other animals besides that. So maybe maybe the other ships in the background weren't for the kids. Maybe they were Or maybe. These these two other kids over here and that that weird ship, they were taking two lions with them. And then the other ones are taking two giraffes, two elephants. Oh, so every whole, kid takes two pets. Two, animal, two crocodiles, two sharks. Oh, the, the Irwin kids? We're taking the Irwin kids over? <laughs> two stingrays. <laughs> and now they're dead. Jesus. Yikes. Oh, my goodness. Apologies to Bindi Irwin if she's oh, listening right I'm now. I'm so sorry. Did you see, uh, what's, what's the boy's name? I um, don't know. Crocodile Hunter Jr.? He recently dressed up like Loki and dressed up his little crocodile like the crocodile Loki. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's having a good time. He's having a good time. Yeah. So then why couldn't Cage come on the trip then? If they were letting on all these other humans. That Well, I don't know. Maybe that's the whole rapture kind of how that's sort of spilling over into this idea a little bit. Some are allowed and some aren't. Only the pure of heart or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, The pure of spirit. Yeah. yeah, it's because it's because he wasn't schizophrenic. Actually, he didn't believe he had no faith. Yeah, this movie yeah. is kind of about schizophrenics, huh? They did say like only those who hear the voices can come. My problems with the movie really it's very simple. I mean, uh, relating it back to Knock at the Cabin, I I don't think Knock at the Cabin's a great movie at all, but it's fairly entertaining all the way through. Which is my biggest hang up with this. It's just it's kind of boring. Nothing happens in the fucking movie it, the, except the one thing it does well, which I have clearly took with me is that the set pieces in this movie are good are actually surprisingly good and shocking verging on r-rated territory at times the train sequence is gnarly train sequence is fucked up i really gotta give some credit for the way they play with your expectations in both of those scenes because they give you the date the location and how many people are gonna die and you think that's a lot of information and they still manage to twist what you expect is gonna happen yes really effectively uh, the moment Nick Cage realizes that the other numbers were latitude and longitude, once he puts that together, he's looking at his GPS in his car and he sees it there and he goes, wait a minute. And he goes, the thing that was supposed to happen today is going to happen right where I am now. Right. <laughs> and he's stuck in traffic. What are the odds? And I'm stuck in traffic. <laughs> what an inconvenient time for this. <laughs> so he gets out of his car and he looks to the front and there's like a big car accident up there. And so you're like, oh, this is the incident. And uh, so he goes to the cop. He goes, everybody okay? And the cop's like, eh, minor injuries, no big deal. And then <laughs> the cop, you see the cop look off screen, like up. And he's like, oh, and he just, he just turns around and starts running. And you're like, what? And Nick Cage looks and a fucking plane is crashing into the highway. This scene is a combination of like me pinballing back and forth and being really disturbed by what I'm seeing and just laughing uncontrollably. It was unhinged, <laughs> hilarious, and tragic. Watching Nick Cage try to save all the people, too, it's like there is nobody I would rather Dude, not have <laughs> on the other side of the night. 911 call when I'm in crisis. Like, I would not hit the fucking Nick Cage button on my OnStar 
if I were to crash my car or something. Yeah, the director has some balls here because any other filmmaker, when a plane crashes, you know what they would do? They would end the scene and move on. Instead, we go through a five minute, like, single take fucking shot of Nick Cage running into the rubble and people are just running around on fire. And I'm like, you're you're. You're an ant. You're squished. You know what it looks like? It looks a lot like the first episode of Lost. Mm. It looks a lot like, which is a great scene. This is not as good as the opening in Lost, but yeah, it's the same thing where the guy gets sucked into the propeller. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, it's tremendous. Nobody is alive in that crash. Yeah. Well, yeah, no one would ever survive it. It's physically impossible to anybody to survive a crash like that. But and I'm like, why are people alive? But okay, I'm going to roll with it. And then I'm laughing at the idea of like being set on fire and then seeing (laughs) Nick Cage in front of you. Like that would that would make me feel a little bit better. Is that you, God? Like, wait. Oh, wow. This is what it's like. Okay. (laughs) But then greeted by his fucking grin. (laughs) But then. It's got one of the my favorite moments in a movie where this guy is screaming in agony as he's on fire. Runs past this Nick Cage, and Nick Cage is just like, "Hey, hey, what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, he's like trying to get his attention. Like, "Hey, I gotta ask you a question about some numbers." <laughs> the guy clearly has bigger fish to fry. I mean, he's a little busy. How about in the subway scene where he just tells one woman to get off the train because she has a child, but he doesn't tell anybody else. Yeah, maybe broadcast that a little louder to the room. Maybe share it with the whole class rather than you just telling just one woman. Women and children first, dude. I know, but it's like, geez, there's other people on this fucking train. <laughs> now, fuck those guys. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, his uh, his approach, if, if Nicolas Cage, or this character at least, was on the Titanic, you know, you have 30 lifeboats and there's 100 people. He takes one woman and a baby, puts on one lifeboat, and everyone else is staying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> The rest of us are dying. <laughs> right. It's not only women and children, it's women, children, and enough leg room. <laughs> right. Subway scene is really good. You get a shot of the windshield of one of the trains as it is running people over. It gets dera- derailed. And there's just fucking blood on the windshield. It's really sick. Yeah. That's a good that's good stuff. But that's another one that subverts your expectations because the day before on the news, they say they expect a terrorist attack. In New York City. And he's like, well, I have the latitude launch. I know where it's going to happen. And um, he goes to the station and he sees a sketchy looking guy and he's and who is uh, vaguely tan skinned. This is 2009. So, you know, sure. Yes. And he starts chasing him around and the police are suspecting Nick Cage. So everybody's on high alert. They think there's going to be a terrorist attack. Turns out the guy he's been chasing just stole some CDs. Yeah, right. And then a train just randomly derails. <laughs> At this point, the FBI is chasing Cage down because he called in... Where the attack is going to be. He called in a warning that was perceived as a threat. Right. Right. And he he did it on a payphone. He's like, this is not a crank call. Again, you get a little bit of Cage overacting. Yeah. A little tiny bit. A little taste of it. <laughs> New York. How may I direct your call? The attack will take place tomorrow at the corner of Lafayette and Worth Streets. Cordon off the area from midnight. Are you clear on that? Sir, let me patch you through to our Please do exactly as I say or many people will die. This is not a crank call. And then we get the most on-the-nose 9-11 imagery I've ever seen in a movie short of World Trade Center. Right. <laughs> so, Another Nick Cage film. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. you guys see the Pattinson one? Remember me? No. no. But that's not... 
a 9-11 movie until it's a 9-11 movie. I know, but I've never seen it. I, I wasn't sure what the imagery is like. I mean, yeah. So that is a deranged film. <laughs> An absolutely deranged isn't it, isn't movie. Isn't it just a romance movie that ends with 9-11 killing him? It's like a rom-drum. It's like a you know teen YA thing. What does he like go to work at the World Trade Center and then? Final shot of the movie. I forget. Oh God, maybe we should cover it one day. I don't know. But this is that how it, it all away. I don't know if we can cover that in good faith. Like it's it's. He's just like looking out the window. I, again, I don't know like what happens in with the central romance, but he's just like you know having to think. He's looking out the window and he's having to think of things, right? And we just zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. This is some kind of drone shot. Oh, I've seen. Oh, I know this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Turns out he's in the World Trade Center. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Butterfingers. <laughs> oh, Do they show no. a plane or anything? Um, let's see. They just cut to the actual news footage. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right, so heavily implied that, like, 30 seconds later. Oh, and then we get a, a flash forward to, yeah, okay. We get a flash forward? I think to a post-9-11 world. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Oh, no, we do see it. Oh, wait a minute. What? Oh, oh we no. should cover this movie, dude. <laughs> For some reason, I thought there was, like, pop music underneath. I feel bad laughing at this, but, like, it's insane. In case you didn't know, in case you didn't know that 9-11 was bad. <laughs> Let me humanize it for you, because that hasn't been done enough. <laughs> I know what the idea was. Yes. I'm sure. The idea was Titanic was a love story. What if we oh Titanicify 9-11? Guess what? Titanic happened in like the 30s. <laughs> The movie came out like 60 years later. Uh, listen, I'm not saying that it wasn't too soon. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying that, listen, the biggest movie of all time is about a terrible tragedy with a fictional romance at the center of it. And this was right. That This is the equivalent of not enough room on the door. <laughs> Robert Pattinson in the World Trade Center. Anyway. <laughs> a 9-11 conversation always a uh, <laughs> always a winner well this movie demands it if we're honest yes, it does. <laughs> knowing demands we talk about well the, the the empire state building certainly gets burnt up to a crisp everything literally everything which is a actually a very good like whoa like i've never quite seen that before i think the effects are good i think the special effects are okay i think the set pieces are pretty good that's shit yeah yeah you know i don't actually hate the cgi of the aliens i think the spaceship is kind of compelling looking and it's, it's interesting i don't even hate this movie i don't hate the movie either, i but. think it's decent i don't know i don't remember it being this good but yeah, I'm it's into it. It's not a terrible movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just kind of a whatever it's movie. It's kind of meh. Me. Yeah, yeah, it's just meh. Yeah. I do love how, too, like, when the, the movie resolves and you get the E.T. moment, right? Yes, yeah, You yeah, expect yeah. that to be the end of it. We've seen so many Spielberg movies end like this now that it's like, all right, the spaceship goes up and it's over. But then we get a little bit of a coda mm -hmm. of Cage going back into the world as it's getting really fucking hot outside, which I don't know how if solar flares would work that way. I imagine they wouldn't. Well, right? this is a super I mean, they wouldn't be that insane. But if the, this is a very spontaneous super flare that they say, which is like, you know, the sun just like like burps 
Right, like a big burp and then just like fries the planet. I I don't know if those are a thing. It gets rid of the ozone layer is what he said. Yeah, but they show a diagram of it and it's like he's he's contrasting it with like a normal solar flare and then he shows like what their sun is about to do and that's like more than just ruining the, the ozone layer. <laughs> yeah, uh, we just talked about this with the core. I'm sure it doesn't make any sense, but whatever, I'll go with it. It's getting really fucking hot and everything's on <laughs> fire and people are committing crimes and shit and he just drives through it and meets up with his parents, his estranged father who's a pastor and I guess they had some sort of falling out over the last year because his wife died and I'm sure his father said something to the effect of it was all for a reason, everything happens for a reason and uh, so they make up and they hug and then they you know it's cool i dig it that's what the movie's really about understanding that everything happens for a reason and we have to get my kids to the alien people for them to live on here's the thing cage has a kid uh-huh. he finally returns home to his sister and parents and they go where's your son and he goes where's caleb caleb's safe and they're like you shot your son <laughs> <laughs> Right? I mean, like, this is... <laughs> you, you murdered you, him. You might have you, eaten him. You, you might have eaten your son. Yes. Like, even the most benevolent reading of that is you killed him so he wouldn't suffer like the rest of us have to sure. for the end of the world. That's the most benevolent reading of that. Oh, but he is absolutely not safe. <laughs> That's fucking but There funny. is no reading where they go, ah, the alien angels took your son away. Very good. He was chosen via schizophrenia. I see. Very good. Yes. Your schizophrenic son is safe now. <laughs> Wonder what that means. Yeah. <laughs> if that ain't the most a uh, fucking mice and men line I've ever heard in my oh life. God, that's you know what would have been a really great moment too, a really cagey moment that we didn't get. Uh, if when like the entire earth was burning up, I wanted Cage just like on his knees screaming as like the flames just engulf him, right? Like, oh, it's uh, getting hot up in in this room. I wanted like the kick ass, like child. Oh man, he's burning in flames. Like, <laughs> oh, then- see, I was thinking the bees. But no, not the heat, <laughs> not the heat. <laughs> I forgot he does burn to a crisp and kick ass. That's not right. Not the sun. He does burn to a crisp in the wicker man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why do I remember the bees and not the burning? Not the wicker man itself. Right. <laughs> I remember the. I wicker remember man. the deleted scene with the bees. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that. I still can't believe that's a deleted scene. Del- it is the most famous deleted scene of all time, probably. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Either you... that or fucking Ana de Armas in Yesterday. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. She's in the trailer for the movie and she doesn't make it into the movie. That's oh, really, my God. It's really ridiculous. Well, you know the story about this, Nick, that a group of Ana de Armas fans sued Universal Pictures mm. for false advertising. And there is currently a class action lawsuit happening now between Ana de Armas fans and Universal. And it might like forever upend the way that movie trailers are cut yeah. i'm one of those fans I'm right one of the guy's suing yeah <laughs> adam is uh you joined is one of the oh, four yeah. people of yeah he's, of course he wants his payday yeah i want to get my anna yeah. <laughs> give me my anna have you ever seen that scene uh no i've seen i've seen like i think the clip from the trailer right but no not the actual scene is the repercussions like you can only use footage from the film itself is that going to be like the kind of i think that's what they're arguing so essentially uh, did you see that movie nick yesterday no. Uh, 
that the plot of that movie is that the main character, you know, he he knows all the Beatles songs and everyone else has forgotten that the Beatles exist. So he like uses the songs of the Beatles for his own career gains. Yeah, it becomes like the biggest star in the world. Yeah, it's a it's an alternate universe where the Beatles don't exist, and he's the only one that remembers. But in what time period does it take place? This is modern today. This is present day. It wouldn't work. (laughs) Well, Adam and I have litigated this enough over the years. Okay, it wouldn't work. That's what the movie should have been, but it wasn't that, and it's frustrating. That's a moment in time, lightning in a bottle thing. You fucking idiot. Which should have been the point of the movie, and the movie would have been so much better if it was that. If it was about a guy that couldn't succeed with the Beatles music instead of becoming like a giant pop star now. Anyway, <laughs> so there's a scene where he's on the James Corden show and Ana de Armas plays like a fictional celebrity. She's not playing herself, but she's playing like another celebrity that's also on the James Corden show with him. The, the whole premise of the scene is like, we hear that you're the greatest songwriter that's ever lived. and You can just write a song like nothing. You can pull it out of thin air. So... Uh, could you write something for us now? And so the whole pun is like he he performed something, you know, so it's kind of cute and clever. Um, and Ana de Armas is sitting there. He passes off the song as though it was written for her. So he's singing it directly to her. And Ana de Armas, in basically a wordless performance, swoons over him. And you just see, you know, Ana de Armas looking at you if you're singing her a ballad, you know. I would do it. It tracks me like no other lover, you know. And it's mystifying. And in the test screenings for the movie, the one of the major criticisms that audiences came back with was, why didn't he go off and live with Ana de Armas? Why did they not fall in love? Like, she is too mystifying in that scene that it's now becoming a distraction that that would not be the central romance. She was too good that it hurt the film. You got to throw a Costanza moment where he meets up with Marissa Tomei and says just something really stupid like, I'm engaged. Yeah, And then right. gets punched in the face. <laughs> See, I'm sort of engaged. He blows it. <laughs> I saw another like recent internet debate that was like, are the characters in Seinfeld canonically hot? Jerry Seinfeld is, right? The original conversation is Elaine hot in Seinfeld. And I think Elaine is obviously hot. Yeah. Yes. But I think there's some debate about it now. Is Jerry hot? I would say Jerry is hot. Jerry's hot because doesn't he always have like a different girlfriend? Yeah. He's batting women left and right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lane, very, very, very hot. Very hot. First of all, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is hot in that show, first of all. Sure. And also, same thing as Jerry. (laughs) And that's that's, that's a shit ton of random boyfriends. Yeah. Putty, for God's sakes. She's with Putty. Yeah, I think there was someone that I think put it well. It's like they gave her storylines that traditionally male sitcom characters would get Mm -hmm. so people were confused that she was not just the blonde bimbo you know love interest in the show that she has like a really meaty role and so therefore she doesn't really play as conventionally like hot but But she's very hot in the show and that is part of her character that she's hot it's also the charm of seinfeld and how it plays with just character in general in a way that sitcoms generally did not ever before sorry it wasn't big bang theory enough for you Right. Yeah, that's what it is. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I think modern audiences now expect every sitcom woman to be Kelly Cuoco, either Kelly Cuoco or Melissa McCarthy. You know what I mean? Like you either have to be, you know, just like schlubby and just the butt of the joke or a hot bimbo. I, you know what, though? That goes back to the fucking dawn of film. Right. If you look at even old movies like 
traditionally women were either hot or you laugh at them. Right. And the <laughs> second you give her like a meaty role, like the second you give like Jodie Foster a meaty role in Silence of the Lambs, it's like, oh, wait a minute. She's not hot anymore. It's like she's still hot. It just means she that, is. Yeah. yeah. You know. Uh, so, yeah. Knowing. I don't know. I mean, I know. I know that I kind of know <laughs> enough about knowing to you, like it. You dig it. They also don't really del- delve into like the concept of like, what would you do? If you could predict the next disaster, like they, they don't really get into it. Well, this is part of the problem with the the movie doesn't have really any answers. There's nothing the characters can do to prevent this. Hmm. So, I mean, you can, like I said, you can play with that idea of inevitability. I actually like it in movies when a character has to deal with a prophecy that they, ha- that they're hopeless to, to stop. They're going to do that in an upcoming movie about a guy in a desert with worms and sand and shit. But, um, I'm kind of just going around in circles. This movie's just kind of blah. It's just nothing to me, you know? It's fine, I guess. <laughs> I think I disagree with you. It's just blah. It's just whatever. It's just whatever. How do you? How can you say that? I think I kind of disagree How can with you, you say that, Nico? Is this better if it's made by M. Night? Uh, no. No. Yeah. I think the answer is no. Is this better if somebody else is cast? The cage thing is actually kind of distracting. But no, if it's an M. Night movie, he puzzle boxes the shit out of it. And I think that this is kind of good as a vibe. You know, the mystery of this thing isn't that crucial to the plot. Like, he decodes the numbers pretty quickly. Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, by the way, Ben Mendelsohn is in the shit. Yeah. An early Ben Mendelsohn performance as his buddy. Another thing. That's just like a thankless role for Ben Mendelsohn. It has, like, nothing to do. You know what you need? You need an actor who can have some chemistry with the kid. Right. That's the problem. I don't. I don't think Nick Cage has chemistry with children. First off, uh, maybe Bruce Willis is the name then. Bruce Willis. Yeah, that's what you need. Did we explain like the beginning of this movie? Did we really like explain what this movie is? Yeah, we did. They find a time capsule. And- yeah, well, there's like a little girl that like hears whispers and she like she writes these numbers in a time capsule. It's like her idea. Like I'm gonna yeah. put all the numbers in this time capsule. Yeah. Okay. Good. Now my question here: What is the point of the time capsule? What's the actual point of it? Yeah, because by the time they open it back up, a lot of disasters have happened. Most of them, in fact. Well, I think she's hoping that it'll fall into the right hands at some point. For what purpose? For the whole arc thing. To get the kids to save the human race. <laughs> I mean, maybe not, though. Maybe, like, the aliens are just messing with them. I don't know. But that's what maybe I'm the aliens are just the, trying to have a is, laugh. What's the point of this when thing. his son Caleb begins writing numbers he does so pretty unwillingly it's like he falls into a trance and he just can't stop so I'm not sure she really had a goal I think she just had to do it yeah she's a very disturbed child by the way and that that she's act, a vessel dude that actor yeah. by the way plays the child in the 50s with the premonition Lucinda mm. and also the daughter uh the granddaughter of Lucinda I thought so too I was like in the modern day it is yeah. the same girl it is the same girl yeah oh I didn't think it was she does a pretty good job actually of of, of uh, doing both roles there yeah, but I think so too. um Rose Byrne is also in this who dies in a fucking car accident no but I see I liked how unsentimental that was I thought the the, the car crash by the way was Great. fucking Great. awesome yeah I agree with that yeah. awesome car crash I agree. I love that it's not sentimental they didn't have to, I I'm very happy they didn't do a romance just again though it's just like and they don't do that much with it it's just kind of over and done with she's not important she's not an important character she's not in this in this like she is just another person that is going to perish soon right it's just these two kids now I granted the kids are not particularly good in this but um no, no one's I, an important I, character in the movie nobody yeah, except for the kids 
I don't know. It, it needs a, another draft, that's for sure, <laughs> to make me feel like a, a greater significance of what's happening on a scene-by-scene basis, because I'm like, none of this really matters except for just getting this kid to this one specific spot to hand him off to the aliens. Right, which at the end of the day, the aliens just kidnap him anyway. Yeah. So they don't really need the numbers, do they? Cage isn't able to stop anything from happening, and... Uh... <laughs> Could you imagine the aliens are like, I gave you the numbers. <laughs> why, why didn't you yeah, they show had to up? Do the work, yeah. <laughs> why didn't you just I show know, up? I kind of dig it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cage doesn't do anything. Right. I'm, it doesn't matter. He doesn't accomplish his thing. He just learns to accept it. All right. Uh, you can't well, fight death, Nick. All right. Hold on. I got to add this to my list of Nico defends dumb science fiction <laughs> films. <laughs> Knowing. <laughs> What else is on the list? Oh, hold on. I got to find it. It's it's around here. So, oh, here That's it is. not a joke, by the way. Adam actually has this running list. <laughs> okay, here we go. That is concerning. I have a film. Here we go. No, it's great. Okay, knowing. I'm going to type that in right What is the title of this list in your notes? It is Nico Defends Dumb Sci-Fi Films. <laughs> That's a long-ass list. Uh, oh, my God. You want me to go through it right now? Oh, my God. That's so long. I didn't know you were keeping a file on me like that. Uh, like you're the fucking FBI. I'll skip over some of them. No, read them all. All of them? Yes. We're going to get controversial here. Go ahead. All right. Nico uh, defends bad sci-fi. All right. I'll, I'll get the controversial ones out of the way. That being, of course, Interstellar and uh-huh. Inception and um, <laughs> um, Looper. Okay. Uh, but the real ones. Uh, here we go. The Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> Not bad. Ugh. Cloud Atlas. Good. Uh, Great. Masterpiece, maybe. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> Alien Covenant. Um, awesome Il- movie. Elysium. Sick. <laughs> Chappie. Fucking rips. Vanilla Sky. Hell yeah. After Earth. Old. Yeah. And now knowing. <laughs> just. I mean, basically all bangers. Oh, yeah. They're all just great. I don't know why After Earth's there. I'm not really an After Earth. Yes, y'all. You're like, yeah, it's not that bad. That's you're, all. You're having the same. Well, that doesn't count as like, I like you defended defend the movie. It. You're like, hey, guys, it's not that bad. It's actually pretty. No, bad. I don't believe it's his worst movie. <laughs> But you're doing the same. It's like the same response here. You're like, you know something? No, else? I actually kind of like this one. Oh, my God. This one deserves a spot on the list. <laughs> I think you're actually a sci-fi nerd deep down. Dude, you named some fucking bangers I on that list, though, pieces. man. You, learned, you named some all-time I classics. Named some pieces of shit on that one. <laughs> Don't forget Vanilla Sky's on that Vanilla list. Sky, hell Fuck yeah. That. Why haven't we done that on this Vanilla show? Vanilla Sky rips. Because Nico unironically likes it. I do. I think it's great. Nick would fucking despise buys that movie we got to do that on this show it is why is this a thing oh, my the- favorite era of cruise holy crap that movie's bad <laughs> it's not a good movie <laughs> you know who's on my side on this movie by the way roger hell yeah <laughs> four star review oh my god <laughs> that's ridiculous knowing is among the best science fiction films i've ever seen <laughs> frightening suspenseful intelligent and when it needs to be rather awesome <laughs> When it need that implies that like it's so awesome it doesn't need to be awesome. That's right. But it does it just to be nice. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, that there's a take right there. I mean, just talk about just a, a man with you know the the gift of the pen. You know he, I guarantee, you wasn't writing anymore at that. But he had people <laughs> doing it for him. You think he was slapping his name? You think he had ghostwriters? That's jazz. That's jazz's take. Jazzy is that her name? Yeah. Yeah, jazz wrote that. You think jazz wrote? That? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no shot he was no shot he's watching knowing he's like you think elvis mitchell is oh, just writing reviews and oh he's putting his, his 
<laughs> his byline on it. Jazz, did you write this shit? <laughs> Jesus, did you see those child performances? No, not only did Roger Ebert give it a four-star review, he then, because he was blogging at the time, yeah, he just learned what blogging was. Mm -hmm. So he wrote a follow-up blog about how negative the response was to his review. He's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I fucking loved it. Damn it, Jess. I got to defend this now. <laughs> oh, man, he's got to stand up for his wife. I got to double down on the take. <laughs> That's funny. No, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's kind of a big whatever movie, you know. Cost fifty million dollars, made one hundred eighty-three worldwide. That's pretty good. Seventy-nine domestic. I remember doing pretty well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Number one on its opening weekend. Had a nice little tail. It's good. I think it's good. All right, that's knowing. That's what I know. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, we will be back next week with what are we doing next week? Push. The Hayden Christensen vehicle. Push. Hayden Christensen in push. We're uh, reliving our middle school days yep. here on Why Is This a Thing. Uh, movie Hall of Fame this week. Uh, we just talked about the year 1966, and we have a Paul Schrader podcast coming up. And I would also like to ask you guys on the air to put you on the spot. Succession and Barry are wrapping up, so should we have some maybe podcastical material? Well, I am not even close to being done with Succession. Well, how about haul some ass? I can't. I got to watch that Barry and Star Trek. Well. Why are you watching Star Trek? Fucking come back down to you Earth the, for a couple weeks. I, I can't, dude. I'm, I'm, my voyages have started. I'm out there, and I'm, I'm searching for strange new where, worlds. Where are you at in Succession? Still season two. Season two? Mm. You could probably do it. It's only nine episodes in season three, and then season four, and then that's it. So you got two weeks. Two weeks, man. You got You time. can bang out a season in a day, dude. But, but, but guys, Kirk has to fight the Gorn. <sighs> <laughs> Get Succession done so we can do a podcast about Barry and Succession. Okay, good. Glad that's settled. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.